Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. This next verse is probably one of the most practical verses I have found for helping people not get ulcers and avoid high blood pressure and all of those related things that come with a lot of anxiety and stress and, and anger. And it's found in Ephesians 4.26. It says here, Now be angry and yet do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Here Paul understands something that when we are angry and we yield to that anger and sin, he says then we just give the devil an opening. Just think of it as we're cracking the door open, an opportunity. If you open the door a little, he'll come right in. And he'll come in and mess with you. He loves to see people fall down, doesn't he? He loves to trip us up. He's always setting little temptations and snares. And that rascal, he is looking for his opportunity. But in today's psychology classes, they teach, if you have any anger, you have a real problem. And your problem is, well, we need to work on you not ever getting angry. I go, wait a minute, that's not really how we're wired. Can anyone remember in the Bible when Jesus got angry? Well, first I should ask, did Jesus ever get angry? When did he get angry? The money changers, they were called. The guys in the temple, when the people would go to worship the Lord, they had a heart to give to the Lord. And you know, these guys used to have a racket going. They would sit outside of the temple right in the inner gate part portion, and they would say, hey, excuse me, you can't give that Roman money to the house of the Lord, but we have the consecrated temple shekels over here. These are the Jewish real money for God. So you can trade in your Roman money, we'll exchange it for the temple shekels, and you can take the temple shekels and go give them to the Lord. At this time, you guys remember, Rome was the ruling power over Israel, and yet the sect was going, well, here comes those guys wanting to worship. Let's get them. They were skimming as they were changing the money into temple shekels and then turning around and trading them back. They could go buy the stuff in town with the Roman coins and they were ripping the people off. They had another racket going. They had these, when you brought your animal to be sacrificed, you brought a, a sheep, they'd say, oh, oh. Is that a consecrated sheep? Has, has the pr high priest looked it over? Because I, I see a little spot on its back leg. I'll tell you what, I have one right here. We see the ribbon? It's already been approved. Got the thumbs up from the high priest. This one is acceptable to God. I'll tell you what, you give me a few shekels or a few Roman coins and your sheep, and I'll give you this sheep, and you can go offer it to the Lord. Well, <clears throat> when Jesus saw this going on, you remember what he did? He got so mad, he went and made a whip with many tails. And he went in there and started whipping those guys to get out of here. He overturned the money changers table. He drove the animals on. He said, this is my father's house. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. And you made it a den of thieves. And to me, the worst part is they were ripping off people who had that desire to come to worship God. They were taking advantage of someone's inner desire to say thank you to God and they're profiting 
off of it. Jesus said, get out. Now, was he angry? Yes. Did he sin by driving those guys out? No. See, sometimes anger will be that fuel to make us right a wrong. When something is really being done wrong, if you, ah, well, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you got to have a little fire in you to get up and do something about it. Jesus was angry and he did something about it. But did he sin? No. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, you can be angry, but first condition, you don't get to sin. You can't use it as an excuse to sin. Your anger needs to be used only to right a wrong, not to say, oh, there's a wrong and I'll do another wrong. It's not two wrongs make a right. You guys know that saying, right? That the people who go around, well, they did wrong, so I'm going to do them wrong. They did me wrong. Now I'm going to punch them. That is not what the scripture is teaching you. The scripture is saying, you can be angry, but don't use it for an excuse to sin. And there's a condition, another condition. It's actually a time limit. How long do you get to be angry? According to Paul here, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. As soon as the sun sets, you have to let it go. Because if you don't let it go, what happens if you don't let it go? What happens when you go to bed angry? How do you sleep? Do you sleep? I mean, sometimes you're like, rrr, rrr. you don't sleep at all. It eats at you. And what's it doing to your blood pressure? As you're, it's going up and up and up. And the stomach acids start churning, get heartburn and ulcers. And all sorts of problems begin to happen to our bodies if we try to hang on to that anger through the night because we're seething over it. And pretty soon it starts eating at us. It's not good for us. So Paul, what a wise thing to say. You can be angry, but only till the sun sets. Because he realizes if he doesn't let it go, who's it going to harm? Does it hurt the other person that you're angry with? Usually they don't even know. You could be so angry with somebody and they don't even know you're angry. Or you could be so angry about something and they don't even care. But who's it eating up? You. And the Lord doesn't want it to eat at you. So he inspired by the Holy Ghost, Paul, to write this down for us, these instructions. So we would know okay, you can be angry, but you don't get to sin. Not an excuse for sin. And there's a time limit. As soon as the sun goes down, got to let it go. Now, if we really live like this, how would we feel? Would this work? In real life, would this help us? Absolutely. Simplicity of this verse is stated so succinctly. It's such a simple little word to say. Be angry, and yet... Sin not. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. You could write that out and put it on your refrigerator, right? Little note, sticky note. Be angry, but don't sin. And you can even draw a little sunset picture. No anger past sunset. Little thing, and put it up there to remember. But if we really live this, if we really live this, how much would it help us in the course of life? I mean, through your whole life, if we did not go to bed angry. And he says, and the last thing, now this is kind of the motivation to me that helps me actually do this verse. What's the next verse? Verse 27 say, and do not give the devil 
an opportunity, an open door. Don't open the door. So if you stay angry after the sun goes down, guess what you're doing? You're giving the devil that little opening he loves. Just give him a little open door, and he's going, oh, good, they're mad. Now I'm going to mess with their sleep. And the devil, he'll do crazy little things. He'll make you hear a little creaking noise or a little spook. Oh, and now you're already got your cortisol levels up and you're already a little bit high blood pressure. And then he just plays with you. I'm so glad this verse is connected to that verse before because it's all part of it. And it actually makes me want to say, I ain't going to be angry after the sun goes down because I'm not going to give that little devil a, an opportunity. I'm not even giving him an open door. I know none of you are saying, I'm going to give the devil. But when you remember that if you do hang on to that anger after the sun sets, or if you do use that anger to go sin, you're giving the devil just what he wants. You're just opening a little opportunity. You open the door for him, and he's going, yay, go ahead, keep being angry. Keep sinning. Yeah, all right. He's all happy about it because you're giving him his chance. I say, phooey on him. Forget it. I'm going to do what the verse says. I could be angry, but I'm not going to sin. Sometimes there's anger because there's a wrong being done. When I see a little one being picked on, I don't like that. There's a part of me that says, that's wrong. Now, I'm not going to go sin because they're being picked on, but can I right the wrong? Maybe I have to step in, hey, buddy, leave that little kid alone. You're not supposed to be picking on that. Or the guy is standing there trying to give drugs to the little kid on the corner. I don't like that. Now, I don't have to go shoot the guy. A part of me is inclined to sin in that way. But I remember this verse that says, I can be angry. I just don't get to sin. So I might have to step over there and say, excuse me, leave that little kid alone. You get out of my neighborhood. Get away. See, Jesus did that, didn't he? The guy's doing wrong. He said, get out. He drove them away. Get away. Because there's these people that want to do what's right in life. And you're steering them down the wrong course. You can be angry about that. Now, when it comes to sunset, and you drove the guy out of the neighborhood, do you got to sit there and seethe over it all night? No, you just go, ah, it was a good day. Got rid of that drug dealer that was hassling the kids in the neighborhood. Do they still come around, these drug dealers and these guys that try to sway the, the young minds? Sure they do. I say, let's do what's right. Let's walk like he said, as a new creature in holiness, in truth, in righteousness. Let's do what's right. And we can really help them. Now, the next part of this chapter, verse 28 is one that you have to make sure you put the punctuation in the right places when you read this sentence. Because Paul was kind of known for having really long run-on sentences. And should you pause in the wrong place in this particular sentence, you can say a very wrong meaning. Let me show you what my Bible says here in verse 20. It says, Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good in order that he might have something to share with him who has need. Now, this is interesting to me because the Bible actually teaches that the motivation for work is not just to take care of ourselves. 
they've done all these studies about human productivity in college. How much can a person produce over their lifetime? Do you know that in one person over the course of their lifetime will produce way more than they can consume? Now, why is it we're built with that kind of ability? Well, it says right here, the whole motivation for our work isn't just to take care of us, but so that we could take care of our own needs and help others. And here, the motivation for work, he says, let him who steals, steal no longer. Don't steal. Instead, use your own hands and perform work. Perform what is good. The Bible says that the fruit of our labor is good. When you work hard and you get that paycheck, that's the fruit of your labor. And that fruit that you get, that is a good feeling. You might be thinking, I've got something I really want to get. And you work hard, you work hard, you get the paycheck, you get the next pay, you save up and finally, I got enough. And you get to go buy that thing that you've had your eye on. Now, is that good for us when we achieve those things? Why would Paul write to a church? Let him who steals, steal no longer. Who was stealing at the church? Do you know that we've caught people, when we had a, a building downtown, we had people, we had a little wooden box for the tithes and offerings. We caught someone trying to carry the box out the door. And I think, at church, you went to church to steal. And first of all, the kid came in the middle of the week, the box was empty. I feel like all he's getting is a wooden box. You know, you might want to put that back. There's nothing in it right now. And the kids dropped it and ran. I think, why do we have to teach, let him who steals, steal no longer? Now, some guys uh, read it different. They say, let him who steals, steal, no longer working with his hands. That's the wrong punctuation, by the way. It's, let him who steals, steal no longer, rather work with your hands, perform what is good. There's a purpose for our work. And there's a fruit of our labor. When we work, it feels good to get that fruit of our labor and be able to buy those things that we had our heart set on. Maybe you've been dreaming about something for a while and hoping to get that thing. You know, it feels good. I was brought up in a time when we were taught, if you have a dream for something, you have a desire for something. My dad always taught me dreaming is free. You can dream about having this, dream about that. The dreaming part is free, he would say. Now, if you really want that, now this is the part that I love that my father taught me, is that that's okay to have the dream, but now are you willing to do the work? But he didn't make it seem unachievable. He would always say, if you've got a dream, no matter how big, as long as you're willing to work at it, eventually you can achieve that dream. And it always instilled in me this ethic of it's okay to have the big dream and have the big ambition, but you got to be willing to do the big work. And, of course, I had his father, my grandfather, who taught me hard work will not kill a man, but hardly working will. Men were made for work. doesn't kill us. Hard work doesn't kill us. We're made for it. You guys have heard the statistics. What happens to the men work like crazy right up till they turn 65 and then they retire? And then the guy says, I'm not going to do a thing. I'm just going to sit back and relax. And you hear about like not even a year later, the guy's dead. I mean, he was a real go-getter. But all of a sudden, that day came of 
retirement, and he just vegged out. Got the remote, sat there, drank, changed channels, fell asleep in the chair, kept doing it, and pretty soon he was dead. I know men, though, and women, that when they, quote, retire at 65, they're busier after they retired than when they had their job. They just keep going. And the Bible has a lot of Proverbs about not being slothful. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, it says in Proverbs. And it says your poverty will come upon you like a thief. You'll be poor. But a person who's diligent. See, I know I'm preaching to a choir here that most of you grew up in the era where hard work was the ethic. Work ethic was included. In the kids today, it's not. And I have to tell them it's biblical to work hard. But you have to know the reason to work hard. Just like knowing the reason why to let it go when the sun sets. Why should I let my anger go? Well, because I'm not going to give the devil an opportunity. But why should I work hard? There's motivation right here. So that I can not only take care of myself, but I can help others. You know, the fruit of our labor, we can earn so much. Some men can earn, well, enough to feed hundreds and hundreds, thousands of men. They have that propensity. They're just gifted. They work hard and they just have inspirations for businesses and they throw themselves into it. And they can earn so much that they can help many, many people. Now, some people say, well, why should I work hard and help everybody else? But Paul says he learned this saying from Jesus. He said, Jesus told Paul that it was more blessed to give than to receive. And if you've ever been on the side of being able to give something to someone who really needed it, almost like the angel of mercy, you know, you're like angel in incognito for the day. You go over and you, and you found out that family was really hurting and you put some groceries in the sack and slipped it up on the door and rang the doorbell and ran away. And they came to the door. Oh, and you just peek from around the corner. You see their faces like, oh. or you just bring it to them. Here, I want to give you this. And they're like, how did you know? How do you feel when you get used to do that? Now, personally, I like better the feeling of giving than having to be the one in the position that I need someone to give to me. He never lets us be always in the place of giving. I wish that we could. I think sometimes he knows we need a little humility so we know how it feels to be on the receiving end. Sometimes that way we might handle the way we give in the right spirit. When we go to the person to give to them, we can say, hey, we all know how it is to have hard times. But you know on those times, those occasions when you get to give to someone and they just look at you like, you're an angel. Where did you come from? How did you show up at my door? And they just look at you with such joy. You think, this is great. I don't know about you, but I think the feeling is better when I'm giving to them. The excitement, they're so grateful. I'm just like, don't worry. Like, what can I do for nothing, man? I, I did it right there. Just the joy of watching their face is so fun. And it gives me something I can't even put into words what it gives, that there's an inner thing that by just being the one that gets to pass the blessing to them, I get a blessing too. Don't think there's no blessing for the one who gives. Jesus, when you give, and God will give to you. Give, it will be given to you. And then he says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 
When you give, God sees what you do, and he gives back to you. I've tried to teach this to the young ones when they're starting out in their faith. They're like, how much can I give? I said, as much as you can give cheerfully, with a cheerful heart. God hates a giver who's under compulsion. I don't like those churches where they put a lot of pressure on the person. You have to give, or we're going to go out of business, or, or our thermometer on the wall is not going to go up, and they have all these ploys to get people to give. I don't believe in that. Give what you can give with a cheerful heart. Because that's the only giving that God accepts. If somebody's saying, you have to give, and you feel like, I don't really want to, but they're like pressuring me to, I would tell you, don't give. Don't do it. Let it go. God will give you another opportunity where it'll bring you great joy. It'll be that right occasion with that right person who really needed it. And you'll feel great about it then. Why don't preachers preach that today at church? Have you ever heard a preacher preach that? Don't give if you don't feel a freedom to give. You don't feel a cheerfulness. It's in the Bible. They should teach that. We need to give because God enabled us to give. We're just saying, thanks God for giving me the ability to work with my hands and make these, whatever it was that we made and make the profit and have the extra to give. We can be thankful. We're like, thank you God for what you've, enable me to get and thank you that you gave me enough that i could share with someone else when they're in need and if you do give don't ever give with a real snooty i'm better than you i made more money than you that's why i have to give you just didn't earn anything you you slacker here i'll give you some money if you give to them you just made them feel worse you might as well not give them if you gave like that if you ever had to be humble and receive because you needed it you know how it feels. And you can tell them, look, I've been there. I had to receive. Now it's my turn to pay it forward. And someday when you're in a different place, you can pay it on to someone else. And you can encourage them. And they will feel good and you'll feel good. And there is a great blessing in giving when you give the right way. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. Watching shadows lengthen I've done a lot of thinking Of all the love I'm missing By never loving you Really want to know you Take a chance and show you I read
Actually adore me